Well, the Pac-12 did it again. That's right. Another overtime thriller there in the 10.30 Eastern window that had us up well into the night, 2.30 a.m. officially, when USC and Arizona officially put that thing to bed. Uh, USC, obviously, a gutsy performance getting it done, but they were not impressive <laughs> up until the second half. Caleb Williams kind of willing his way. It wasn't his best day by any stretch, but they found enough to overtake the Wildcats there in overtime. Really, really remarkable game. I'm Greg McElroy. Thanks for being with us. We are here for the Sunday recap, Sunday takeaways, Sunday impressions, and there's a bunch of them. It was a pretty wild day here in the first Saturday of October. I'm looking at just some of the matchups coming into the week, and it's like, you know, there's some, there's some, there's some kind of spicy matchups here, some, some some real opportunities for upsets, right? Real opportunities for upsets. I mean, A&M's a very dangerous place to go play. Felt like, hey, maybe Minnesota can keep things interesting with Michigan. Hey, you know, Maryland's undefeated. Don't sleep on them. Even though they're they're not ranked, don't sleep on them. Maybe they could make things interesting. Louisville is barely in the top 25, but Notre Dame's a top 10 team. They're on the road in three straight tough games and my goodness, man. I mean, the upsets were a real thing yesterday. <laughs> a real thing. And it, obviously not all of them materialized. But it was pretty wild to think about exactly what we saw and some of the matchups that we saw them in. Uh, let's go through from the beginning. Red River rivalry. What a game, man. Like, what a game. It was just an incredible football game. Back and forth with miscues and big plays, blocked punts, faked punts, two-minute drives, uh Costly turnover. I, I mean, it's it really was just one of the better football games I've seen this entire season. It was back and forth. Uh, I thought the crowd looked incredible, totally engaged, just an amazing, amazing game. And we had kind of talked a little bit last week about just the legacy impact of this game. Not necessarily to the extent in which, you know, Dylan Gabriel in failure, which obviously he, he didn't fail more than that, but in failure – would he still be kind of looked at as a guy that, you know, is a big-time Oklahoma quarterback, right? I mean, Oklahoma's got a really high bar for quarterbacks. Like we, we get that. But we had kind of said this is a legacy game for him. In victory, it would totally put him up there along the likes. I saw a graphic last night on the late-night version of, of halftime with Matt Berry, Joe Galloway, and Dan Mullen. And I, there was a – I mean, there was Kyler Murray – most yards ever against Texas. Kyler Murray was first. Baker Mayfield was second with 410. I don't remember how many Kyler Murray had, but it was like 416, I think. Baker Mayfield was second with 410. And then there's Dylan Gabriel. He's at third place. Most yards ever against the Texas football team at 398. It was a great performance. Gutsy two-minute drive. And it was really, really neat, man. Really neat to see Oklahoma get it done. Thought it'd keep it close. Thought it'd be a very interesting game, one that would come down to the wire. But I didn't think they'd pull the outright upset. What a great, great performance from the Sooners. Um, moving on, Alabama and Texas A&M. Alabama, really, I mean, just not a great start in this game, but just an awesome second-half performance. I thought Jalen Milrow probably played the best game of his career. Uh, outside of the interception, uh, I thought he played pretty well. Obviously, still, you know, sacks are a little bit of a concern. Um, but 
that was a gutsy, difficult spot to go play naturally, and they were able to get it done. Milrow finishing up, I believe it was like 315, 320 yards or so. So he obviously played really well. Um, thought the defense, man, the defense for te- for Alabama was just terrific in the second half of that football game. Just absolutely terrific. And we had kind of been talking for the last couple of weeks, man. Like I think this chance has a chance to be an elite group on defense, and and they're kind of slowly but surely rounding into form in that regard. Uh, another guy that I thought had a great day was Jermaine Burton. Uh, Jermaine Burton obviously did have the fumble. But if you think about where he was, I mean, I've always kind of wondered, you know, how good is Jermaine Burton? Is he really a number one wide receiver? Or is he more of a, you know, high level two, um, mid-tier two in that vicinity? I mean, I don't think anyone's going to confuse him and Marvin Harrison. But he showed on Saturday that he can clearly do what you need him to do if the opportunity presents itself for him to be a number one. That was a terrific performance and him and Milrow clearly have developed a rapport. So I'm not sure they win the game without Jermaine Burton yesterday. That was a great, great job by him as the run game was not as efficient as you would like it to be. Uh, Other games of significance, Maryland, obviously really interesting early. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen Ohio state look as bad as they looked in the first half offensively. I mean, obviously, I'm a prisoner of the moment, perhaps, but in the Ryan Day era, era especially, I don't recall a time in which Ohio State was that inefficient. Obviously, I believe, I think they, what was it, 2016 or so when they made it to the playoff and got blanked? All right, that's a different animal. But this edition of Ohio State, this era of Ohio State football, I don't think I've ever seen the 30 minutes quite that bad on the offensive side. But my goodness, they rounded into shape really quickly. At halftime, they played so much more efficiently. They obviously got things going a little bit with Marvin Harrison, obviously having a big day. Big key that we had was if Maryland wants to have a chance in this one, they have to keep Marvin Harrison in check. If he's getting off, there's no chance. Well, eight for 160 or whatever it ended up being is, is I would constitute that as going off. So a great game by him for sure. And one that, Obviously, they had to have there after what was a little bit of a slow start. Um, another game that I thought was, you know, a, really a great performance was North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina beat Syracuse. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. But that was there in like that two thirty window. North Carolina's legit, y'all. Like, they're really good. They're not. All, and I know Syracuse struggles. I don't think Syracuse is very good. I think that they're very human. But North Carolina showed that they're for real. And we'll get an opportunity next week to play against a real ticked off Miami team. Because my goodness, did you guys see what happened in the end of the Miami game? Oh, oh. it's like gut wrenching to watch. It's so painful. And ultimately, I just still don't understand what Mario Cristobal was doing. I just i i can't even i can't even fathom it. It's under. Under 40 seconds, 35, 36 seconds, third and 10. You can take a knee. Like you're, the game is over. Georgia Tech has no timeouts. The game is over. You kneel on it. It's done. And Mario decides to hand it off. They're going after the football because obviously they had to. It was the only chance they had. Fumbles. Next thing you know, Haynes King hits a big plate on the left sideline. 
And then, boom, he rolls out to his right, buys a little time, hits the game-winning touchdown. That was egregious. I mean, it really was. I, I don't know what Mario Cristobal was thinking. I did not see a post-game press conference or anything. Uh, I imagine he was probably asked about it. But, man, that's just – it's bad. I mean, I feel bad for the players. I mean, I feel really bad for the players. Like, ultimately, yeah, you can't fumble. I get that. But I feel terrible for them. And to kind of take some of the some of the shine off of next week's game between North Carolina and Miami, a game that very likely could decide who's going to play Florida State for the ACC championship. And now, obviously, Miami with that one loss in conference, it's not going to be one that's easy to overcome. I mean, that's a season ruiner there. So just hate, hate that for Miami. Other impressive performances. Uh, Oregon State gets done on the road. High scoring affair, by the way. Anyone expect 92 points being scored with Oregon State and Cal? I didn't. <laughs> I did it at all. Two teams that run the football. Two teams that average like 200 yards rushing a game. and They get to 92 combined. I certainly didn't see that coming. Out West, Washington State falls at the hands of UCLA. This was a great performance defensively from UCLA. I mean, Washington State had been red hot. I mean, red hot for how long? I mean, a month since they played Wisconsin. They'd been red hot, really playing good football. Well, they couldn't manufacture hardly anything. I mean, just 10 points offensively. They obviously had the pick six there at the end of the or at the end of the first half or so that they kind of broke the game open just a little bit. But defensively, UCLA absolutely completely shut them down. It was tremendous performance. And Carson Steele, the transfer man, I think 150 yards rushing was pretty wild. Uh, one final couple takeaways here in the night slate. Notre Dame, man, I don't know what it is about Sam Hartman when he's playing against Louisville. And I, I, I can't, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's like this mental block with Louisville with Sam Hartman. But Sam Hartman against Louisville in the last two performances – has like 40 turnovers. I don't I, I don't know if that's the exact number, but it feels like it. He obviously had two fumbles lost last night, had three interceptions. Last year, I believe he had four turnovers in one quarter, six altogether. So you're telling me against one opponent, Louisville Cardinals, Sam Hartman has had about 11 turnovers in his last two games against Louisville or somewhere in that, somewhere thereabouts. I mean, I didn't think last year's performance could be topped, and it was just about. Feel bad for him. Obviously, Notre Dame, that's their second loss. Two of the last three, they come up short. It's a tough place to play, obviously. Louisville was ramped up for the game. I was really surprised more than anything else that Louisville was able to run the ball with so much efficiency. I know Jawar Jordan's amazing, but I was shocked that they were able to just punch holes in this Notre Dame defensive front. Because I think that group's really stout. I think they do a really good job. But that was probably one of the better rushing performances I've seen against Notre Dame in quite some time. I mean, I, I don't know the stats specifically, how it stacks up. But just off the top of my head, it didn't feel like a typical Notre Dame performance. If anything else, it felt like Louisville was just playing against a standard G5 team or low-level ACC team, the way that they were poking holes in that Notre Dame front. And obviously that ends a series of streaks. Uh, Notre Dame had beat, I think, 30, 31 consecutive ACC teams. That's done. Uh, and Louisville gets it done and kind of announces to the college football world that they're legit. Uh, they are really, really good. And I'm not saying that they're this year's TCU. 
Okay, let's not get carried away, but they're well on their way with a great performance. Two best teams in the country are Georgia and Michigan. I'm not sure that it requires a whole lot of explanation. We were on the call for Georgia-Kentucky, and guys, I'm telling you, man, Carson Beck is legit. I mean, he's really good. Really, really. We know Brock Bauer's really good, um, but Carson Beck is a dude. I mean, he is very accurate. He has great ball placement. He has a big arm. He's got everything that you could possibly want when evaluating the quarterback spot, man. He's got a very bright future, uh, and he's got a very bright present, given what he's doing right now. That was a that was kind of a vintage Georgia performance. You know, they still can't really run the ball with the same level of efficiency that you'd want. They ran it better last night than they'd had in quite a while, but would love to see the run game pick things up a little bit at some point here in the future. But man, their pass game is tough to defend. I mean, with the weapons that they have with Brock Powers and obviously the transfers, Robert Thomas and Dominic Lovett, when Lad McConkey gets healthy, man, they're going to have some weapons. So it's going to be really interesting. I think to watch Georgia evolve over the season, because I think they're just getting started. And I think their best football is in front of them. Michigan is just a complete dominant force. Uh, I mean, can't say I, I got to be honest. I was not surprised. Like I didn't watch one second of this game, not because I didn't want to, but because I was on the call up against it. But seeing the bottom line score and seeing the highlights, not one second of this game was surprising. I mean, not one. I mean, Michigan is so good, uh, offensive and de- offensively and defensively. Obviously, a couple pick sixes in the game. I mean, just a relentless pouring it on in Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota's not very good. Uh, I don't think a lot of people need me to convince them of that. But either way, man, I mean, that was one heck of a performance. On the road in conference against a team that's pretty proud and desperate, and they killed their will immediately. LSU survives what was a a shootout. Really interesting game there in Missouri. Tough game. Bad start for LSU. Missouri comes out swinging. LSU outscores them 32-14 there in the second half. And what a beat, by the way. Obviously, the touchdown at the very end. Uh, (laughs) Missouri is six and a half point dog. Touchdown at the very end. Bad beat, man. Felt bad for whoever was carrying a Missouri ticket there because that thing should have at the very minimum been put on ice. And it was never even a loser until the last second. That's for sure. Uh, Any other takeaways this week? Not a ton. Um I think one other takeaway I would say, and it's not necessarily always related to one specific team. It's really hard. It's really hard to win on the road in conference at night. I mean, it really is. Like just looking at some games, uh, Oklahoma State, Kansas State. Like Oklahoma State got run out of the gym a few weeks ago by South Alabama, right? Just got run out of the gym. Well, Kansas State, obviously a really well-coached football team. They go on the road, and and they lose, and lose convincingly. I know it was only an eight-point game or whatever it was, but lose pretty significantly there on the road in Stillwater. Uh, another one, TCU going to Iowa State at night. Difficult spot to be in. TCU, obviously, pretty decent, but have had some ups and downs. They're now 3-3 three and three after finishing as the national championship runner-up last year. But that's, I mean, that's an example of Iowa State, man, starting to round into form a little bit, getting a little bit better, and starting to figure things out. Uh, Kansas, obviously throttling UCF. Florida, hammering Vanderbilt. Uh, There's a bunch of examples where 
it's just hard to win on the road in conference at night. A bunch. It's very, very difficult. Uh, other notable performances as well. Uh, Colorado gets it done. Not cover, <laughs> but gets it done. Um, Colorado is very human. We've documented that. We know that Arizona State's not a good football team, but went down to the wire here. Uh, Shador Sanders kind of like looking at the crowd at the end of the game. Like a lot of people, that moment going viral, people all mad about that. Like, why do you care? Like, it's, I mean, you go into, a, you go on the road, hostile environment. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, everyone's big mad at Shador for taunting the Arizona State crowd. Who, who cares? Like, he won. He's earned the right to do what he wants. Um, so I think Colorado is still really human. I think it's going to be tough to get to bowl eligibility still. I know they're at four right now. But they have a game against Stanford that obviously is extremely winnable. Um, and then I think it's going to come down to the game against Arizona. And we saw what Arizona was able to do this past weekend. Arizona is pretty legit. The backup quarterback taking USC the distance. So it's going to be interesting to watch that matchup down the road as well. So that's kind of our Saturday recap, Sunday recap. I don't even know what day it is anymore after another 2.30 night. In the Pac-12, but you gotta love it. Gotta gotta enjoy it. Gotta soak it up, and and gotta appreciate it, man. It's so much fun. We're halfway through the season, man. We're starting to really get things to come to the forefront. We're starting to identify trends, and we're starting to see some teams that are legit and teams that aren't so much. So it's been very very fun these last couple of weeks as everything is starting to clarify just a little bit, crystallize, if you will. Like I can kind of see, we can see the landscape, and we can start to draw some conclusions on some teams. Now, which is not something we were able to do just a couple weeks ago. So it's starting to get pretty fun. And I know that we'll be here with you again on Monday, breaking these games down in detail, breaking down some of the trends, matchups, things like that in detail. And we'll, of course, be with you again on Wednesday and Thursday as well, previewing week seven of the college football season. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, who's actually up and awake and doing the show with me today. He wasn't the last time we did it in the middle of the night. That's okay. Mark's here for Jake, for Jack. I'm Greg. We hope you have an amazing Sunday. And remember, it's always college football.